0: Well, good morning and welcome again announcements that I have for you this coming week on Tuesday two days from now, we get to go to Cedar Way and do our monthly food pop-up pantry for families in need there, and um, as well as make deliveries to Vision House. And um, We love what we get to do in partnership with those two groups that are doing amazing things to help families in need in our community, and we are so grateful for all that you guys do to make that happen. Um, we do still have some needs on that list. It's a digital sign up, and you can um, text the word helping to our Brookview number, and you will get that list automatically sent to you. And any items that you are able to bring in and donate, um, you can drop on the side doors right here throughout the week if you're watching online. Um, and we will pick those up on Tuesday at 10 o'clock when we make our way to um, Cedar Way. Also, this is the very last Sunday, if you brought in gift cards for our gift card drive that we had over Christmas, we will also be handing those off. Um, And we just can't wait to surprise them with um, your guys' generosity. So thank you in advance again for all that you're doing and we love um, partnering with you to partner with those groups in our community. Also, it is kind of like tax time. I got my first W-2 in the mail the other day. I was like, oh, okay, let's go. Um, But I wanted to let you know, if you have given to Brookview in 2022, um, you get a charitable giving receipt or report that comes to you in the mail, and those are going out this week. And so if you're expecting to get something and you don't get one, we want you to reach out to us at brickviewgiving at gmail.com, and we will get to the bottom of it and try and figure out what is going on so we want you to have what you need for your tax purposes and again thank you for your generosity helping us just do what we do keep the lights on I mean we like heat right I'll soak that in a minute we did have a moment when we didn't have heat in here and it was like oh lovely so it's more what am I even trying to say I'm having a moment here like our gathering together is more about turning the heat on and being all comfy. That's a small part of what we do, and um, that we love being able to move forward and advance in what God has um, laid out in front of us to do. And your giving just helps us with that. So thank you, thank you, thank you for um, for all that you do. All right, now is the moment where you get to write on your communication card online that that was totally awkward, Um, but we love hearing from you. Highs, lows, whatever, we have um, people praying for you throughout the week as you send in prayer requests, and you can reach out to us um, at brookviewchurch.com forward slash contact, and there's a communication card that you can fill out, and um, we would love to respond to whatever needs you might have or comments that you have for me. Just kidding, it's not all about me. I'm done here. Uh, Jason, bring it. Eh? Yeah, it's a plan.
1: little test here. Um, Last week, I told you guys, um, Brooklyn, my 15-year-old daughter's favorite movie. Does anybody remember? Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. (laughs) That may be the only thing you remember, but man, (laughs) so valuable. Um, So, Movies have been a big deal with me, with my kids over the years. Watched a ton of movies with the kids. Jen used to lead youth group every week. And so I'd be home with the kids when they were too young to be at youth group themselves. So when Jen was gone those nights, we would often do a a movie night because Jen doesn't like to watch movies. It's too unproductive. (laughs) It's very, very hard to get Jen to sit down and watch a movie but we can watch four or five Netflix episodes of a something that takes twice as long as that. <laughs> Just the commitment of a movie is a no-go. So uh, so anyway, when she would be gone, it was like, all right, guys, movie, movie time. And so I would try to pick stuff uh, with, to watch with the kids that would be thought-provoking, like stuff that would raise issues about relationships or friendship, you know, or justice issues or whatever. It was sort of a time for me to, to th- help them think about the state of our world and what God is inviting us to do in our world. Um, so I had them watch most of my favorites, uh, many of which became their favorites. And to be honest with you, I was pretty okay with fairly graphic material because in, in, in the right context, it's real life. And so that led to some fantastic conversations with the kids. So here are a couple of our like favorites. Um, saving Private Ryan, of course, yeah, The Notebook, oh. <laughs> uh, a man loving his wife through Alzheimer's, great combo, heart. Yeah. all right, the reality that many have sacrificed for this freedom, that, that those who enjoy freedom, many have sacrificed to bring it, Dances with Wolves, yeah. amazing story of injustice and community, just beautiful, um, Cinderella Man, do you guys know that movie? Yeah. Cinderella Man. It's a boxer in the twenties, Russell Crowe, fighting to support his family. Forrest Gump. Yeah. It's just good. <laughs> it's just good. Uh, and there's kind of some historical stuff in there, and some non-historical stuff. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Just deep friendship in a in a most unlikely place, right? In a among prison inmates. Um, the Exorcist, <laughs> you know, Great Analysis of Spiritual Warfare, okay, so no, I, I didn't actually watch that with my children, um, what, but one of our all-time favorites really is uh, Dumb and Dumber, D- Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> There's the level. (laughs) One of our all-time favorites, and and Jen was actually able to watch this with us. I don't remember if it was a Saturday and we had nothing to do for a week or what happened. You were probably sick, (laughs) yes. Uh, There's a movie about uh, racism and oppression and love called The Help. Um, Can you guys read the tagline from where you are out there? Change begins with a whisper. Um, It's about African-Americans working in white households in Jackson, Mississippi in the early 60s, right? So there's lots of racial tension stuff. But what really kind of popped to me was just the interracial kindness. There's a beautiful relationship that develops between an African-American nanny and the little white girl that she's in charge of raising. So the nanny experiences disrespect from white people every single day. But in this particular little white girl, she sees great things. She sees a great future. She dreams beautiful things, different things for her. And so day after day, she looks that little girl in the eyes, and she says the same mantra, right? You is smart, you is kind, and you is important. And she has the little girl repeat it right back to her. You is smart, you is kind, you is important. And it's like a short blessing of sorts. And she just continually speaks that over this little girl. And lo and behold, that little girl grows to become all of those things, right? She lives into the words that are consistently spoken over her. Um, You is smart. You is kind. You is important. Here's a clip. I just think this is so tender. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. You is smart. smart. You, you is smart. kind. You, you is, is important. important. Oh,
0: that's so good.
1: <laughs> the words that we believe about ourselves matter. Right? Change begins with a whisper. So last week, we opened this series with words that God speaks over us. And we talked about our identity, how we see ourselves, how God sees us. And we saw that God doesn't just see who we were. He doesn't just see who we are, but God actually sees who we're becoming. And so the Father loves us into our future. And Paul insists that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are in Christ, his favorite way to describe our new identity, meaning everything that's true about Christ is now true about you. So when we trust in Jesus, we are incorporated into union with him, meaning that while God knows all about who we were and he knows all about who we are, he defines us by who we will become one day in Christ. And his vision of us is breathtaking. So last week, we looked at Ephesians 1. Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians with this, like, ridiculously long, run-on sentence. And in Greek, it's just this one, going, one ongoing expression of Paul trying to communicate, this is who you are. Um, and we covered this, but, but think about what Paul says in that. I just want to recap that. He says, he says, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen before the creation of the world, holy, blameless, Loved, predestined, adopted as sons and daughters to the praise of his glorious grace, redeemed, forgiven, and rich in God's grace, wise and understanding, aware of the mystery of Christ. You're chosen and predestined, says it again, for the praise of his glory, says it again, you're included, you are saved, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're God's possession. And all through his letters, Paul insists, this is who you are in Christ blameless, holy, courageous, strong, compassionate, faithful, and yet for most of us, we hear this stuff, and what we feel is, no, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that stuff, I struggle with fear, I struggle with lust and pornography, I, I don't have self-control, I'm addicted to substances, to food, to gambling, to shopping, I judge people, I envy people, I gossip about people. I'm not blameless, holy, courageous, strong, compassionate, faithful. Like, how can God say any of that about me? Well, this is who you are in Christ. And so the invitation is to learn to be who you already are. And for that, we enter into a process called discipleship. Um, So to start off today, we're going to talk about discipleship and I want to define terms. What, what does that even mean? What, what is a disciple? What is discipleship? Because the word discipleship means different things to different people, depending on what experiences you've had or church backgrounds you've come out of. For some, it means like one-on-one mentorship by an older, wiser, more experienced follower of Jesus to one or two or three like younger, not as mature followers of Jesus. For others, they envision a kind of like leadership development program or culture. So it's it's raising up and then releasing the next generation of Christian leaders. For others, it's all about like Bible study, getting to know the Bible and learning theology and having the right doctrine. Now, you guys all of those things are great things. And I engage in all three and I am behind them 100%. But with all due respect, I am hesitant to call any of those three things discipleship. They all might play a role, but none of those things fully encompass all that it is. The the truth is discipleship is more a posture than it is a specific program. It's not primarily a program you do. it's, It's who you are. The Greek word that's translated as disciple is mathetes, And it can be translated disciple or student or pupil, follower. But a number of Greek scholars argue that the best word that we have in English to capture the full meaning behind mathetes is actually apprentice. So not just disciple, but an apprentice, okay, under a rabbi in this case. Now, for some of you, it might surprise you to learn, Jesus did not invent discipleship. Um, Sometimes we talk about discipleship like apart from its original context, and the truth is discipleship didn't didn't actually start in the first century with Jesus. It had been around for a while. It began centuries before that in Greece with Greek philosophers like Socrates, and then it spread across the Mediterranean to Israel and Jewish rabbis, and it became like a mode of the most elite education you could get. So if you were in Greece and you became a disciple of like Plato or Aristotle, that was, that was like elite level stuff, yes? Can you imagine Plato or Aristotle going, hey, come into my inner circle and learn from me. Follow me around. Pretty awesome. So the Jewish rabbis picked up on this and they're like, this is a good way to do this. So to become a disciple of a rabbi was like a doctorate program. The religious and intellectual elite would apply to apprentice under a prestigious rabbi and, and only the best of the best made the cut. Which, which is what made Jesus' invitation to, to everyone utterly radical. I mean, Because right? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, follow me, become my disciple. And there were, there were many outside of just the 12 that, that did that very thing. Jesus was wide open. Whoever may come and be my disciple. It was just unthinkable. Jesus, as far as we know, Jesus was the first one to include women. No other rabbi of his era is on record as having female disciples. But Jesus welcomed the sisters, Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene and many other women. It was groundbreaking. And for us, as followers of Jesus, our goal is the same as a first century mathetes. In the end, true discipleship is, is simply about three things. Um, this, is, this is our goal as an apprentice of Jesus, to be with Jesus, okay, to follow him around and spend time in his presence and his love, then to become like Jesus, to let Jesus' teaching and life and spirit and way transform us from the inside out and begin to spill out of us, and then third, to, to do what Jesus did, or maybe even better language would be to do what Jesus would do if he were us, so if you were a first century apprentice under a rabbi, you were literally training to become a rabbi one day yourself. So you would, if you're training as a rabbi, you looked forward and hoped for the day when the rabbi might turn to you and say, okay, kid, I think you have what it takes and I think you're ready. Now you go make disciples, right? You become a rabbi. And in the same way, we're, we're training under, under Jesus to do the kinds of things that he did, but we're, we're to do them in our life, in our context, to figure out what would he do if he were me? What would Jesus do if, if he was a single parent or a young mother or a grandma? What would Jesus do if he was a business owner or a CEO or a manager or a college student or a high school student or a stay-at-home dad or the pastor of a church in Briar? right? What would Jesus do if he were me? And discipleship, or we could say apprenticeship to Jesus, is a lifelong process. And that word process is key. Uh, Many teachers of the way of Jesus now call that process not only discipleship, but often it's called spiritual formation. Um, Paul writes a beautiful passage using formation language, In Romans 12, it starts with this. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So, up to this point in Romans, the whole thing has been about you are forgiven and you are made new. Right? You are forgiven, you are made new, you are adopted as God's sons and daughters. So, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, Paul's writing to this new family of God, multi-ethnic family of God, made up of Jews and Gentiles and people from all sorts of ethnicities and backgrounds. And he encourages them to worship together as one, not only when they're at, the ch- at church or when they're gathering, but with their whole lives. To not put sacrifices on all altars, but to themsel- for themselves to become the sacrifice, as they would be living sacrifices. Okay, and then we get to the language of formation. Verse 2. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the word, the Greek word that's translated both conformed and transformed in the NIV, same Greek word, it's metamorpho. Can you guys say that with me? metamorpho if you can't say it there's a pronunciation guide and it's where we we get the word in english can anybody guess what what word we get from that metamorphosis Metamorphosis. okay so and probably the most common image that we have is like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly somebody like oh i just thought that was really random it was, until now. Uh, the, that, that's the process of transformation. That's the image of spiritual formation. Okay, the, the formed, conformed, transformed, it's all based on this Greek word, metamorpho. And it's the process by which we're transformed into something entirely new. Like same DNA, but somehow a whole new reality. And notice that for Paul, formation is happening to us all the time. Whether you're a Christian or not. Meaning we're all being formed every minute of every day. The question is not, are you being formed? It's who or what are you being formed into? The question is not, are you a disciple? It's who or what are you a disciple of? So for Paul, here's the key insight. None of us are neutral or a blank slate. As humans, we're not static, we're dynamic. We are always changing. We are continually being formed into something, whether that's, um, and, and we're continually being formed by something, right? And that could be by America, could be by the family that we've grown up in, could be from the people we work with, other mommies we hang out with, could be by what we see on Instagram or the shows we watch on TV, could be our news source or the music we listen to, but we are being formed by all of it. And so Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, be transformed. So all all Christian spiritual formation, or if you prefer the word discipleship, is actually a kind of like counter formation. It's like counter discipleship because the world all around us is trying to squeeze us into its mold. So the task of discipleship to Jesus is is to kind of push back in the opposite direction. Um, and and this, is, this is what makes it so hard. There's, there's opposition from outside of us, but there's also resistance from inside of us. It's what the New Testament calls the flesh. Okay, so spiritual formation or discipleship or apprenticeship is to be with Jesus, to become more like him and do what he did. And in so doing, to allow God to transform us from the inside out. Okay, so the, the question then is like, How? How do we apprentice under Jesus in such a way that we're actually formed into his image? That we're not continually malformed or deformed into the world's image? And I want to share with you just some principles of formation. Like, here's how we're formed. And these are not, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not all that could be said. But I think these are extremely helpful To factor into the equation because we are all being formed every moment. So here are some things that lead to like unintentional formation. Meaning these these things are at work on you whether you're aware or not. Okay, you don't have to be strategic or plan or organize life around them. These things are always at work, always forming you. And I'll give you six. Number one is the stories we believe. I mean, we all have stories or narratives in our mind that we live by. Our, our brain is literally wired, uh, neurobiologists tell us, for story. It's, it's wired to take the complex data of the world and to place it in a narrative that leads to meaning and purpose, that gives us a sense of direction to live by. Um, just one example, human sexuality, that, that kind of running question in our age. If you believe, okay, if the narrative you live by, if, if you believe that all of life is a cosmic accident and you believe that monogamy is just a social construct and that sex is no more than a kind of biological release, like there's no purpose to it beyond the propagation of our species, if, if you believe it's not created and designed to be an intimacy-based wonder, then that will give shape to what you do with your body. And as a result, it will shape the person you become. Um, psychologists use the language of uh, mental maps. So you can think of it like this. Like, I have a mental map of how to get from my house to our church. You know, I might not believe this. I don't need ways <laughs> or Google Maps or, or, or whatever. Like, I can do this all on my own. Because I have a mental map of how to get from my house to church. And we all have mental maps to various things, to the grocery store or favorite coffee shop or whatever. In the same way, we have mental maps for how to navigate all of life. Okay, we have mental maps for sexuality. We think this is, this is how you navigate sexuality. We have it for relationships, for marriage, for parenting, for nutrition, for finances, for entertainment, for philosophy, for religion, for theology, for life after death, for everything. And if our mental maps are true, meaning if they correspond to reality, then when we follow those mental maps, we show up to reality in such a way that we can thrive. Just like if I have the wrong mental map of how to get from my house to church, I could end up at somebody else's church on a Sunday morning, right? Like, hey guys, I'm here to preach. (laughs) Could be amazing. Uh, So, if my mental maps are true, like if they match reality, then I can show up to our church on time, and I can see you guys, or I can show up in my marriage and in my family in a way that I can flourish. I can show up to managing finances in a way that I can thrive, but if our mental maps are off, if they do not correspond to reality, if they're uh, like untrue or worse, if they're lies, I mean, Jesus called the enemy the father of lies. Then, when we, then we show up to reality in such a way that, that really what's happening, because we're, we're believing the lies, we're living out of a narrative that does not correspond to reality, then we're at odds with reality. And so we suffer the pain from the sabotage of the lies that we believe. Now, all of this to say, our mental maps really matter. The narratives, the stories that we're living through, they matter stories about what it is to be human, stories about how we find happiness. So much of our behavior flows out of the stories that we believe, and our internal stories are forming us all the time. Okay, but that's not all. We're also formed by, number two, our habits. All sorts of work has been done over the last few decades in the field of psychology to point out the power of habit. And in some ways, we're, we're all just the cumulative effect of our habits, right? Our our habits impact our values and our desires, and they they impact who we are. Um, For example, Jen, and she's not in here for me to pick on her right now, but she's discovered something about herself. She has discovered that if she spends very much time at like the mall, like Alderwood Mall, or Everett Mall, or Northgate Mall, there are other malls, (laughs) if she spends too much time shopping, or just hanging out there, it births in her scarcity, inadequacy, and a critical spirit. Like time at the mall does not form her into her best self. She starts to feel pretty quickly. She starts to feel not pretty enough, not cool enough, like her clothes all suck, right? She starts to feel like her hair isn't cute enough. And then at the same time, and this is an interesting mixture, she judges all those other stupid, superficial people. <laughs> all those people with the perfect nails and the perfect hair and those new, really expensive clothes. You know, and she's just like, what's wrong with all these shallow, self-absorbed people? <laughs> but I suck, you know? So, Jen has decided that hanging out at the mall actually deforms her or malforms her. So, the more time she spends at malls, the less she looks like Jesus. So, she avoids the mall as much as possible. And I just want to let you guys know that as her husband, I fully support that. <laughs> like, oh, that's so wise. <laughs> but the point is, our habits are not neutral, right? They, they form us. For Jen, the habit of going to the mall reshapes her values and longings, and this is what habits do. They shape us. They're not neutral. And we have so many habits that that form us or move us in one direction or another and you think about things like social media or your news source right or prayer or coffee with a friend or your digital rhythms and habits we are always being formed by our habits for good or for not so good okay number three we're formed by our relationships And you don't need like a PhD in neuroscience to figure out that we tend to become more like the people we spend time with on a regular basis. I mean, eventually, most of us end up talking like them, thinking like them, voting like them, acting like them, making judgments like them. And this can be good or bad, depending on the people, right? We are being formed. The question is not, are we being formed? The question is, how are we being formed by the people in our life? Number four, our environment. We're formed by our environment. Like our culture wants you to become a certain type of person. You think about all the advertising or the political stuff or the intellectual and moral agenda that is built into our culture, what the New Testament calls the world. It is a formation machine. And because of the rapid rise of technology and our increasing reliance on it, most of us, we live in two places at once. Right, we live in the real world kind of with face-to-face interactions kind of. But we're also living in the digital world, right? This place where there's tribes and ideologies everywhere. And so we're receiving this constant stream that, of values that are good or bad, or of information that is true or untrue, of stories to build our lives upon. Some may be based on reality and others not so much. So the stories that we believe in our habits and our relationships and our environment all kind of collaborate and conspire together to form us into a very specific kind of person. And all of this happens, number five, over time. And this is why often it's so hard to detect. Like, I'm not being formed in anything. Yes, you are. You may not feel it happening. But, but you wake up one day and you realize you're saying and thinking and doing and acting in ways that five years ago were unthinkable. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who you're becoming. So, okay, one, one more factor. We're shaped, number six, through experiences. Right? So you get married, or you get divorced, or you have your first child, or you become an empty nester or you lose your job, or you lose a friend, or a dream dies, or you experience the death of someone you love. Okay, so whether it's positive or negative, experiences form us. Now, here's my point. Okay, All of this, all of this has a cumulative effect on us, and all we have to do is wake up in the morning and live. Don't have to make a plan. You don't have to be creative all you have to do is wake up and live. So the the question that wise followers of Jesus have asked for 2,000 years is this. How can we harness these factors to become more like Christ? Is there a way way to experience intentional formation and to not have this stuff be haphazard? How how can we allow what influences us to index us toward Jesus? So let's think about this. First, if we're deeply shaped by the stories we believe, then it will be vital to trust the right stories. And, and one of the primary ways that this happens is through, okay, number one, teaching, which comes to us in many forms. But the best kind of teaching does more than tell us, you know, what's true from what's not true or right from wrong. It, it does more than help us sort like fact from fiction. Good teaching gets in our head with a vision of the good life and it undermines other stories that are competing with the Jesus vision Um, and it says you know what that's that's not true that's a lie like this is the truth and there's a resonance to it in our spirit it's aimed at our mind but it gets it gets into our imagination and gets all the way down into our heart it's the kind of teaching that comes, and, and this kind of teaching comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Like, hopefully, it's, it's what I'm doing right now, right? A sermon at church. But it can be reading the Bible or a discussion in a life or ID group, or it could be reading a book, listening to a podcast, watching Bible project videos, just hanging out with people who follow Jesus and, and listening to the way that they process life. Teaching comes to us in many forms, and plays a vital role. It's, it's not just knowing facts from fiction or right from wrong. It empowers us, what it empowers us to do is to live from different stories. Okay, but teaching, getting right ideas into our head is only the beginning. Okay, it's foundational, but it's not the end of the story. So number two would be spiritual disciplines. If habits are a big deal, then we need good habits. We need habits from the life of Jesus that habituate the truth into us. Habits that take the mental maps of Jesus into our daily life. So if our habits are always forming us, then great. Let's harness them to be, to, be, to be formed toward Jesus, right? Things like prayer, reading scripture, listening to worship music, gathering with other Christ followers in living rooms or coffee shops or whatever weekly, coming to church to worship and learn and serve one another, taking communion together to remember God's love for us in Christ. These practices get into our heart and they shape our thoughts. They shape our feelings and values and desires. And over time, they can increase our capacity for all kinds of things. Uh, Many people think living the way of Jesus is all about trying really hard. It's just, you just got to, if you want to follow Jesus, you just got to try really hard. Now, there's no doubt, it takes effort. But it takes more than effort. As much as it's about trying hard, it's about training hard. In First Timothy, Paul says, train yourself to be godly. And Paul uses the image of athletic training in our process of spiritual formation. Um, you think about running a marathon. Do we have any marathon runners in here? Anybody who's ever run a marathon? Half? Half? Well, you got your hand halfway up. That was pretty good. <laughs> I saw another hand. Who else ran a marathon? Christy. Yeah. Jim, you ran a marathon? That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> okay. I have never run a marathon. And to be honest with you, I have no desire to ever run a marathon. But um, if you want to, I have been told by other people who do this, how, how to go about it. And, and here, here's some basic advice. If you want to run a marathon... You don't just wake up one day on the day of the marathon and then like listen to an inspirational TED Talk and pound a few Red Bulls and get all jacked up and, and, and really then just go out and try really, really hard to run 26.2 freaking miles. That's not what you do. No, you, you, you wake up many, many, many months before that and you start training for it. You run several times a week, gradually increasing in distance, right? And and here's the magic of it. If you train hard enough, here's what happens. Over a long period of time, you can train yourself to become the kind of person for whom running 26.2 miles is hard and it takes great effort. But it is actually within your capacity as a human being to do it. Training is how we increase our capacity. So if you want to get past anger or fear or hatred or lust or whatever, yes, it's going to take trying hard, but it will also take training hard. Regular habits or practices that you weave into your life that strengthen you. And if you train well, one day you're going to be able to do what is currently beyond your capacity. Okay, number three, community. It doesn't work very well to follow Jesus alone. You know, we become like who we hang out with. And so it's really helpful to band together with other followers of Jesus in a kind of alternative society where together we adopt new values, where we index each other toward God, where we pick up Christ-like things from one another as we live among one another. Because in community, we can teach each other and we can confront each other right but there's something much less direct that's kind of always going on when we live in community together and it's that we're watching each other live and we're learning from each other so in in community we we see the way of Jesus lived out and we just sort of pick up on it Uh, we watch the way more mature followers do conflict and parenting we watch the way they navigate suffering and disappointment. We watch how they do finances and marriage and sex. But we don't actually watch how they do sex. <laughs> so that. But we can pick up on their values around sexuality. Um, so, so in community, right, we, 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 we learn to pray. How do we learn to pray best? by sitting in and listening to other more mature followers of Jesus pray. We learn how to to read and understand and apply scripture. We learn how to worship and serve and confront people in love. We learn how to forgive. We learn how to be forgiven. We learn how to be patient and kind and all of it by watching others. So we don't follow Jesus alone, but we're, we're intended to follow Jesus inside a spiritual family, with spiritual brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. I mean, some of the most important things in life are caught more than they're taught. And so being in in a place where we're able to receive those things and catch those things is so valuable. Okay, number four, the Holy Spirit. We're always shaped by our environment. And so we need to come to a place where, where the Holy Spirit becomes our environment. We eat, sleep, and breathe His presence. We become attentive to his leading and prompting. We allow him to affirm God's love for us in our spirit, to tell us who we are. And he, where he's as real to us as our city or our phone or the news or what's happening on Instagram. I mean, much of our ability to do this comes as we receive teaching and we engage in disciplines like prayer and scripture and worship. And then we, we begin to live in community with, with brothers and sisters in Christ. And i I just want to tell you guys, when it comes to the Holy Spirit being my environment, I am nowhere close to where I would like to be. This is this has not been easy for me. But I'm growing and experiencing this more and more. Sensing the Spirit speaking to me, guiding me, prompting me toward one thing and away from another. And it comes as as I begin to live from different stories and and through the spiritual disciplines, through reading and soaping and prayer, and, 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 and it comes through life in a spiritual family. And it happens more and more, number five, over time. You don't become like Jesus in an afternoon or a month or two. Right? You can't just go away and have a super powerful like, one-time weekend retreat. There, there's no silver bullet. There's no killer app. This is a lifelong process, and you have to keep at it. You have to show up day after day after day and to just let God do the work in you over a lifetime. Um, I love, Eugene Peterson said one time about maturity or life with Jesus. He said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It takes time. And then, okay, and then one more. Um, It takes a certain type of experience. Number six, it takes suffering. We're shaped by our experiences, but I don't know anything that shapes us like suffering. But if we follow Jesus, there is, there is nothing like suffering to grow us and mature us. I mean, whether you follow Jesus or not, life's not easy. There's going to be suffering. But if you follow Jesus, then pain and frustration and loss are often the greatest opportunities in life, for God to grow you. I mean, I look at my life and I go, what were the seasons of the greatest growth in my life? When I actually began to to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit and and to to look at everything differently, they were times of suffering. When I had to walk through stuff completely out of my control that I didn't wanna be walking through. I think of uh, James 1, he says, "Let, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. If it's often the very things that we do everything that we can to avoid and run away from, the things that we have to endure and persevere through that have the greatest potential to form us in the way of Jesus. And so often as we face the hard stuff, what happens is we're liberated in a way. We're, we're liberated from our attachments. We start to recognize false gods as idols that we've been worshiping things that we have previously clung to for life, and we begin to let go of those and actually find life where we need to find it. We we let go of these things that we are convinced we need to be happy and at peace. Suffering has the capacity to sort of strip all of that away. So if your criterion for for a good life is just feeling happy and safe and in control, then a, a season where things don't go the way that you want can wreck you. But but if your criterion is I, I actually here's what I'm here's what I'm all about this is what my life is all about I want to be with Jesus I want to become like him and I want to do the kinds of things that he did. If that is the focus of your life, then even the worst circumstances are powerless to stop you. Often difficult circumstances actually accelerate the process. And what I'm saying in all of this, okay, what I'm saying in all of this is, is you guys, we're not static. We are dynamic. We are always morphing and changing and being formed. You are not yet who you will be and neither am I. And so this is like my best shot in one sermon uh, uh, to, to talk about how do we grow and how do we change and how do we morph? Um, how, do we, how do we apprentice under Jesus? Because this is the call of Jesus. He just says, come, follow me. Become my disciple. And it is open to any and it is open to all. And the result, if we say yes to it, will be breathtaking. Um, Over Christmas break, our, uh, our family started watching The Chosen. And I know we're pretty late to the party on this. Um, you guys, it is so dang good. I, I think it's good. If you watch it and you don't think it's good, <laughs> Jesus still loves you, I guess. But One of the things that, that I love with the show is just kind of the, all the dynamics between the disciples and all this. And it's just, it's just consistently showing how confused they always are. Like, What's Jesus doing? Where is this going? And the reason I love it is because I'm like, can you not, re-? I can totally relate to that. You know, I look at my life and I look at Jesus and there's so many times when I'm just like, Jesus, what are you doing in my life? Right, like, where is this all going? Uh, a few, few years ago, I, I realized there's actually a fantastic answer to that. And, and while the, the details may not be concrete, where Jesus is taking me is not a secret at all. Um, Paul writes these very famous words. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So what is Jesus doing in my life? Where is Jesus leading me? Will I have to suffer? Will I have disappointment? And will I have to face hard stuff? For sure. At some point, for sure. But this is where Jesus is leading me. He's leading me to love and joy and peace. He's going to fill me with patience patience. And kindness and goodness he's going to fill me with faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that's where this whole thing is going I am not there by any stretch but you guys hopefully I am on the way and here's the thing I want to do anything that I can to to accelerate this whole process to arrive there faster and Jesus whispers come follow me become my disciple and I am, I am far from worthy. I am not the best of the best. If this is a Princeton-level doctorate program, I don't get in. But Jesus throws his arms wide open to any and all, right? Even me, even you. And for any who say yes, the destination is certain. It is love and joy and peace. That's where it's all going. Because change begins with a whisper. Come follow me. Become my disciple. Man, you say yes to that. Unbelievable where it will end up. Father in heaven. I thank you that despite all of the things in my past that I'm ashamed of and just deeply regret, and all the parts of my present that are not the way that I would want them to be, places where I fall short and I'm not who you want me to be and I'm not who I want to be. You don't define me by any of that. You define me by who I am becoming because I am in Christ. And you are relentless in helping me become everything that you desire for me to be. God, would you just continue for all of us to help us to figure out how to use the factors that form us that are all around us all the time and, and, and harness those to be formed into the image of Jesus. Jesus, would you guide us? Would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit? I pray that you would fill us, fill this place, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak to us about life and what we need more of, what we need less of. And you would guide us in the way that only you can, through your word and through your spirit in us giving us those promptings in the sense of this is what I need to do next. Help us to say yes to that and then keep listening for the next thing and then say yes to that and keep listening for the next thing and then say yes to that and on and on and on until one day we are mature and complete before you.